Welcome to Heroes of the Hydean Way. This is a live play podcast that explores published adventures set in the Fantasy Flight Games Star Wars RPG line. Currently our story is Dead in the Water, and it can be found in Star Wars Age of Rebellion's GM's Kit. This is Act 1, Episode 1. And I'm Ben, the GM for this adventure. Hi, I'm Christine, and I play uh, Nima Ptolemy, the uh, Miri Allen uh, Commander Tactician of the group. My name is Brent, and I play TV93, a droid, a sniper, and a slicer. I'm Leslie, and I am Kith Ursebeck, the Bothan Mechanic, or Saboteur. Hi, I'm Chris, and I play Motsu Ordo, Mandalorian Soldier Commando. To get us rolling, I'm going to ask one of our characters a question. Matu, how did you wind up fighting on behalf of the Rebellion? Well, you see, as a Mandalorian, there aren't many people who appreciate good fighting anymore. I mean, the Empire is just a big war machine, constant war by attrition, victory by numbers. But the Rebellion, they're the kind that appreciate a good soldier, someone who knows their way around war, combat, tactical maneuvers, blaster rifles... Thermal detonators, knives, sharp objects, heavy rocks. You know, the things. And now, on with our show. Despite recent victories, the Rebel Alliance flounders in its struggle against the evil Galactic Empire. Desperately, short on supplies, the Rebels investigate every lead to resupply their forces. As part of this effort, a team of elite operatives is sent to the Alliance Intelligence flagship, Shadow Raptor, to oversee resupply efforts along the rimward sectors of the Hydean Way. We find the players aboard the small, rusted-out transport ship, the Spinster's Loom, followed by a large, gray-haired Wookiee named Bratica, and her trusty LE repair droid named Lilu 979. The characters find themselves sitting in the mess hall of the transport, all strapped in, waiting for the hyperspace transit to end, and the swirling blue whirlpool outside the window to fade away into the speckled stars. Your party has been requested, partially as a group who's done very well in your previous mission, and also essentially offering this as a bit of a vacation, like... Oh, it's a a milk run, a blue milk run, rather. Essentially, it is a milk run for the four of you. You've, you're coming back from a fairly stressful mission, and the four of you have skills that the Alliance thinks is going to be needed for this relatively simple milk run. Yes. Uh, what they, uh, what they think we need a, a sniper and a uh, demolition expert <laughs> uh, for whatever this blue milk run uh, is that worries me a little bit. <laughs> well. You might say that there's also, that their other skills are much in use, such as a slicer or a mechanic, as well as having someone who's able to use rocks effectively, and a very good planner and commander. Most likely they just wanted to get me off the ship. They always want to get droids off the ship. They say we consume too much power. I would imagine that um, I'm sitting across from TV, and we're playing to Jarek, that holographic chess game and i'm a little bit distracted because i'm constantly making sure that tv's not slicing the controls it's your move like, again. Hey, keep your hand keep your hand up while it's my turn if you would take your turns a little faster it wouldn't be a problem well if i didn't have to watch your hands i could take my turns faster i have 87 percent of my brain powered down for this match just to make it fair 
And then I make a horrible move that is going to obviously make me lose this game. You lose again. What? What is that, the eighth time now? At this point, as this change in the Desjardins game has happened, Lilu rolls through warning that the hyperspace journey is coming to its end. It's about time. What, you don't want to watch him move again? Uh, no, um, Matu is really bad at generic. Oh, you know, if this were a real battle, the situation would be different. Yes, if it were a real battle. <laughs> <laughs> you would be bleeding all over the table. Uh, I would get up and just storm <laughs> to a corner to try not to look flustered, but I am, do not have high presence, so I'm very clearly flustered. Hey, uh, Chris, what does Matu look like? Uh, Matsu, being a Mandalorian, uh, he he's of the taller and buffer side for this mission. Well, for I guess every mission, he's about six foot two. He's got uh, dark brown skin, brown eyes. Uh, his haircut. If you were thinking of this as a Star Wars movie in production, the hairstylist was definitely drawing on more modern times rather than the '70s style influences. He's got long hair on the top, gathered into essentially Sokka's wolf tail, and then the the rest is definitely shaved. He wears green and slate blue laminate armor that he has patched together from different uh, pieces of armor he's collected along the way. It has been painted with some Mandalorian symbols. Not too many, because he doesn't want to draw attention. He's got uh, a very subtle, that weird uh, horned tusk thing that Boba Fett has on one of his forearm plates. Uh, the only dead giveaway that would be he'd be a Mandalorian would be his helmet, which has that T-shaped black visor. He's not currently wearing it, though. Although he's considering putting it on so he could hide the fact that he's so upset about losing the <laughs> Awesome. As you storm off to a corner, Lilu looks over to you and says, Please, gentle being, we are going to be dropping from hyperspace presently and for you organics it can be a bit of a bumpy ride it is an old ship that we try and keep repaired but well things happen to cut to the chase everybody strap in exactly park your backside and at that point lilu sort of shuffles off to the cockpit the cloudy blue of hyperspace streaks into stars that you can see from the inside through the one window. The pinpricks of light gaze out. You can see pretty much nothing. Like, you can just see a starlit sky. There's no planets, no moons, no nothing. You can't really see anything. At least at first pass. Though, if someone was wanting to look a little deeper, perhaps perception-y type things, that could be arranged. Nima will go in and take a, uh, a look out the window She's not exactly the most observant type, but I could see her just kind of looking out, trying to see what she can see. You know, always be aware of your surroundings. I am going to get a hard perception check. Okay, uh, so it being a hard check, that means I'm going to be rolling three purple dice. Poor Nima here only has a cunning of one, which is the skill that governs perception, and she has no training. Uh, so she's got one green die and three purple in her pool. So this is uh this is hard indeed, and uh, she got a uh, a failure and two threat. You can tell that the ship itself is making maneuvers, and obviously there should be something out there to see. But Nima is just not seeing anything. 
Yeah, I kind of picture what's actually happening here. She's staring out the window and she's trying to kind of be more aware there, but her her mind is wandering and uh, she's not kind of keeping herself on the moment so much. I was kind of thinking back on kind of past deeds and what this mission might entail and, uh, you know, what part of the galaxy we might be, that sort of thing. I'd like to try next if the world doesn't mind. Okay, yeah, uh, I just, I want to limit it to one more person doing a perception check. Anybody else want to take it? Matsu is not interested in looking out the window. He's sulking. Okay. TV's good at it, but he doesn't care. <laughs> Order the joint to do it. So it's all you, Kith. Kith's going to be looking around. If, if the if the ship is, is juking or something, she will be paying attention to that, just to kind of be like, okay, something's going on. To look out to see what is going on, per se. Kind of like me on an airplane. Generally looking out, there is just the star field. And looking a bit deeper, yeah, it would would still be for you a repurple perception check. As you're sort of looking out, trying to see where this rusted out transport is trying to dock to. Are we talking like vibrating hulk of rusted mess? Or would I be able to kind of have an idea of what engines are working? Oh, the ship itself is very functional. It's just like a 50-year-old, 60-year-old ship that's been in continuous operation. It doesn't look pretty, but it does function very well. Like, these feelings that you're getting through the ship is normal docking procedures. Okay, so it's a thing. I'll take a gander. <laughs> so, uh, so Leslie, it looks like your dice canceled out. <laughs> and how? Like, wow, that, that's actually a fair amount of... Um, the cancellation there, so... We are not an observant bond. That's what I'm learning about this quality. <laughs> well, I mean, we we have a pilot. Why... Well, no, I'm supposed to look out the window. That's the pilot's job. Go back to your corner. Put on my helmet. <laughs> <laughs> a series of familiar clangs and clunks accompany the cycling of an airlock. As it opens, you're greeted by a bug-eyed porcine humanoid. His four powerful forearms have ritualistic tattoos of star systems and nebulae starting on the backs of his hands and disappearing under the rolled-up sleeves of his coveralls. He grunts at the party in broken basic. This be the Shadow Raptor. I be Takus. Kumse, come with me to the bridge. With a wave of his meaty forearm on his left side, Kumse leads you down the ship's boom corridor, which runs the length of the ship towards the forward fuselage. I'm sorry, is this an Ugnaught? He's got four arms. I don't think this is an Ugnaught. No, he's a buff. Oh, you said poor sign. I was like, is this an Ugnaught? I got excited. Sorry, I like I like short guys. This guy's kind of short too, but it's sort of like you've almost got like an extra third of a Ugnaught on there with arms. All right. Uh, well, he, he told us to uh, to follow him, so I'm gonna go ahead and uh, start following along after uh, Tay. Here was it? Yep, Tay Kumse. Uh, making sure I grab my uh, my gear as I'm going along. Uh, which consists of a uh, a pretty large shield among a number of uh, more common military possessions. Okay, a wonderfully unique thing in Star Wars, it seems. Yeah, class. A giant shield. Is this our first time on the Shadow Raptor? Yes, yes it is. As you get in, he's actually, for a relatively small guy, he's moving fairly fast. He's about column four, four and a half feet tall. And he's just beetling as far and as quick as his two fairly thick legs are going. He gets to the first hatch and he's just sort of waving at you. Come on, faster. I know Nima and probably Matu and Kith can move pretty fast. Does, can TV move fast or is he kind of waddling along 3PO style? No, he moves along. Can you take help explain what kind of droid is TV? What does he look like? 
Yeah, TV is a uh, T-series tactical droid manufactured by Bactoid Combat Automatia during the Clone Wars before they were shut down and disappeared by the Empire. He uh, is, is humanoid, and so he has legs and body and a humanoid head. If you kind of look close at his uh, sides and his legs, you can tell that he's kind of been reinforced over the years. Looks like to be able to uh, have some extra carrying capacity. If you kind of look up towards his body, his shoulders are kind of rounded, almost like it was a barrel or a spool laying on its side or something. And he's got some sort of combat stripes uh, across his chest and shoulders. It looks like they used to be bright red, but they've kind of uh, faded into sort of a dull pink over the years. And it almost gives him a sort of a, a vague uh, feminine impression, almost like he's wearing a, a top of a dress or something, which is not something that he identifies with at all, but he finds it depressing. And therefore, in TV's mind, he kind of likes it. His head is suspended up by uh, four kind of thin columns as, as a neck. You can kind of see through his neck. And his head is interesting. His, his nose and mouth kind of looks almost like a monkey with a red light kind of in the middle. And then the top of his head looks like he's kind of wearing a hat, almost like a workman's hat or something. And then he has two red eyes kind of peering out from underneath that. They're kind of pixelated. And angry. He's also carrying uh, two rather large uh, weapons on his back, crossed, a blaster, carbine, and, and uh, some sort of sniper rifle. And it looks like that's what he's been reinforced to be able to carry. T is somewhat nattering as he's bringing you along, stopping. Like, you're going down the spine of what you're fairly sure now is a Nebulon B frigate. This is one of those ones from Empire Strike Back where you've got this tiny little connection going between them. You've got a forward hall and a back hall, and seems to be leading you forward down this long corridor. It's actually taking you a fair amount of time. And he mentions that the, that the forward hall goes from uh, deck one all at the top, where a lot of the communication equipment is, all the way down to deck 35, where a lot of the storage for the forward hall is. As he stops at one of these large blast doors, like, Fairly massive, because you could probably drive a speeder through one of these doors, making sure that everyone's still behind him. He sees that everyone's carrying their gear and their duffels. So he's asking, do you be wanting to put your gear away? Probably be a good idea. Uh, better than bringing it straight into a briefing. Uh, do we have uh, bunks assigned? Aye, aye, of course. Just follow me. He leads you to a set of turbo lifts. It's a matching pair of turbo lifts that'll take you from the bottom all the way to the top for the forward hull. On the walls, you see big painted fives anywhere where you see like stairwells or like on the outside of the uh, turbo lifts. You can see this big stylized five that's there. Is it always a five or are they different numbers sometimes? On the level that you're on, it is always a five. Gotcha. Ben? Since this is our first time on the Shadow Raptor, Kith is going to be nosy. It's a new ship, man. Is it a ship? Like, is it a ship ship? Is it a giant ship? Is it a smelly ship? Is it an interesting ship? Is it a piece of crap ship? She's going to be looking and touching and, and, and trying to pay attention to everything as they're going along the halls. And this seems a good time to go in and direct question at you too, Kith. What does Kith look like? Well, Kith is, I want to say, about fallish for a bothan i think she, she i figured about just around five feet she is dark furred and has her hair always pulled tightly back to keep it from getting in the way or you know set on fire or something and she has just little cuffs at the base of her ears that eh, for fun for decoration her hands are usually bandaged 
just because she's always touching and poking at things, whether or not it's a good plan. And she wears as much gear as possible attached to her. She looks like she's kind of armored, but really it's it's packs of tools and things kind of velcroed to her suit. One of the things that Kith is noticing is that this place is clean. On most Alliance ships, especially ones that are just sort of out there on their lonesome, the sense of discipline sort of fades away, even from the former military ones. This one is absolutely still 100% military in how its discipline seems to be running. Maybe a bit more pirate in how the people are, but it looks like they've at least been keeping up with keeping the place clean and keeping the vehicle itself maintained. Everywhere you're looking, the walls themselves are completely clean. The floor is polished, almost to the point where you could go sliding on it. Okay, so it's it's sparkling and shiny, but does, to her, being a mechanic who lives on in and around machines, does it sound and feel maintained? It's not just polished? This ship feels like it's just sort of purring there. The rumble on the deck plates feels proper. There's no arguing engines or anything like that. It seems like the engines are in sync. The grav plating is keeping everything at an even amount. It is very much a nice, even ship. When she determines that this is the case, she kind of pats one of the walls and says, This, this is somebody's baby. And I can appreciate that. TV keeps an eye out for any uh, data ports and says... I wonder what she has under the hood. Well, you two keep up. We're not here to take the thing apart. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. As you two are looking around, Tay just sort of thumping his feet, or his foot, as much as possible. One of his hands is patting against the wall, while the other one on the same side is grasping the edge of the turbo lift door, keeping it open. It's like, come on, come on! Uh, hurrying to keep up. Uh, I actually have a question about Tay. You mentioned he's got, like, tattoos on his arms, right? On all four of them? Yes, on all four of his arms that you can see. Like, he's wearing a, a shirt that's made for his species. But yeah, it looks like he's got stylized versions of all the star systems that he's been on, and Nebula, and actually looks really cool. Is that, like, a, a boss, uh, however you pronounce her species name, is that, like, a thing that they do as, like, a cultural belief, or just something that... Tang in particular seems to have done. No, it's sort of a Bosch thing. Okay. Uh, Nima's got actually uh, quite a bit of respect uh, for that, given she's got uh, some tattoos herself. Tay takes you to a single cabin with four bunks in it on deck eight, where on the back wall, four lockers, where the four of you can go in and rest and stow your gear. Nima will go ahead and take her uh, her shield off of her back. First tries to put it in her locker and realizes this locker was never designed for anything quite so wide. And so just settles by uh, kind of propping it up uh, in front of the locker. Also takes off her, um, uh, she kind of has like a secondary bag uh, with a couple of uh, couple of doodads in a data pad, electro binoculars, that kind of thing that she'll go ahead and uh, actually put inside of the locker. Uh, too will uh, unsling his blaster rifle, which is attached to a weapon sling, but being prepared and paranoid, he will keep the sling and just put the rifle into the locker as well as his extra blaster pistol and the extra grenade he carries around. But he will not remove his vibro sword, which is strapped to his back. The camera will pan across it and you will see it's not a normal vibro sword. It is a very old vibro sword that has been passed down from generation to generation in his family. He will never leave this just sitting around Besides, 
What if he has to cut somebody? So he even takes it into the shower with him. It's really disturbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kit's just gonna chuck her bag on a top bunk and be back at the door. <laughs> it's like, come on. That's not a way to keep your tools in tip-top shape. My tools are on me. That's just clothes. Fair point. Sorry. Yeah, Tay takes a quick look at TV, seeing if TV's wanting to leave anything here or to continue on and take you to the bridge. TV stands there expressionless, staring at the center of the room. (laughs) Tay will look up, sort of stroke one of TV's arms, and then shrug, leads the four of you back to the turbo lift to head down. And I've noticed that, that weird stroke thing. That's that's suspicious. Step off my robot, dude. He's my friend. (laughs) That's a little weird. Yeah, you totally can see that. That's kind of one of the reasons why I did that. At this point, Tay takes you in and hits the button for deck 17. As you were waiting there for the turbo lifts, you do see like large eights on each of the walls in conspicuous places so you know which level you're on. As you get off on level 17. Kith is going to be standing between Tay and the robot droid. Sorry. Not pointedly or anything, just just there. <laughs> Tay will lead you onto the bridge, and you can see the star field out from an almost unobstructed view of this. Like It goes from side to side of this front blade of the Nebulan B. Looking out, you can see a distant Vermilion Nebula spiraling around the event horizon of a black hole. Scenic. The bridge crew is an assortment of non-humans. <laughs> and a dozen consoles split between a trio of sunken crew pits. Standing above them all is a Maryland woman standing behind the captain's chair in a exotic green-gold skin and geometric tattoos spilling from the corners of her eyes like tears. She turns to the party and sees Tay standing there. He's a little on the smug, like, see, see, I brought them, just like you told me. She turns to Tay and like, Why, thank you, dear. I need you to plot the course for after we're done with our communique. Once this little mission of theirs is done, we're going to need to be beating the trail very fast after these four have returned from the mission they're about to go on. Ben, I have a question. Yeah? So, she's a Miri Allen. The same as Nima. Does Nima recognize any of the meaning behind her tattoos? What Nima does recognize from this is that... Some of the tattoos on her face are about the loss of being able to go home. You can tell that this woman has had a very painful road to here, but she's also had some fairly impressive successes along the way as well. That she's here and commanding a rebel cruiser. As she starts to step towards the four of you, Tay sort of skeetles on past her and sits in next to a Lefarian helmsman in the front pit. And he starts spreading his forearms out over the astro computer as he's starting to make the navigation preparations to meet up with the rebel fleet. The Marie Allen captain steps up to you and introduces herself as Hilo Sortuli and welcomes you to her ship. Thank you, Captain. We're uh, reporting in as ordered. Um, Lieutenant Ptolemy. Pleasure to have you, Lieutenant, and your squad. I'm glad that we have someone of your skills. This may be a small matter, but is one of great sensitivity that we shall need to have dealt with in short order. Do we actually know anything of what we're supposed to be doing on this mission, or are we just 
sent here, you'll get details when you arrive? Pretty much. Yeah, you guys have no idea what it is. And with that, she leads you back off of the bridge and deeper on that level towards the back of the ship. You enter into one of those wonderful briefing rooms of the Rebellion. Walking through the hatch, Captain Sertuli nearly trips over her fat, sleeping pet lizard. Stang it, Bumbark! The lizard licks a long tongue over its eye and blinks. After extricating herself and ruffling the loose tufts of down-covered skin on the back of his neck, Captain Sertuli heads through another hatch to the main conference room. Inside is a large table with a hollow terminal at its center. Captain activates the hollow terminal with a data card, and a ruddy-faced man with gray hair and weary bags under his eyes materializes. Thank you for arriving on such short notice. I'm General Aaron Krakeen, Alliance Intelligence. As you know, we are always in need of supplies and material. At the moment, we are critically short on droids. The crew of the privateer gunship Contespex Crusader recently liberated a major cache of Imperial droids and is selling them for targets on the credit. Your mission is to meet up with Captain Oglerk, negotiate for the droids, and get them safely back to the Shadow Raptor. General, why do we need a bunch of Imperial droids? Doesn't exactly seem a uh, major priority. It's not like they're blasters or food or fuel or anything. Yes, who needs a bunch of droids? The droids themselves are needed for signal processing, logistics labor, and bureaucratic items. The administration of the Rebel Alliance is a organization that the droids are very, very aptly suited for by their very nature. Won't the Empire come looking for a bunch of uh, stolen droids? They will, but by the time that the Empire has made its way through the privateers that have liberated this for us, we shall be long gone and your covers will have been long since tossed aside. Covers? So we're going to be going in here uh, subtly. Considering your squad's innate talents, subtle might not be the proper term for it. You mean that we're going to go negotiate and then steal it? He just wants to <laughs> Bear in mind, I have no problem with this idea. I just want to be clear what we're doing. No, no. We're going to be paying the captain of the Contespex Crusader and her crew handsomely for these droids. But they're going to be offered to us for a much, much reduced amount than what the retail value would be worth. Does the captain of the Crusader know this? Yes. That is one of the reasons why she contacted us. What do we know about her and her crew? Well, it is captained by a young human female named Shindy Ugler. They've recently taken to piracy. We're not quite sure how she acquired her ship and crew. They've been acting honorably, at least as far as the Rebel Alliance has been thinking, and giving quarter when asked, and mostly has been targeting the corporate sector authority and the huts. Oh, I got no problem with that. They are flying under a letter of mark from us, and that is why they're turning in these goods to us at such a steal. Where are we going to be uh, conducting this deal? I can't imagine they're coming out here to the Raptor, otherwise you would have no need for us. The privateers have asked to meet on a smuggler's haven called Port Tuga, just off of the Hydean Way. I think I've heard of Port Tuga before. It's supposed to be a pretty rough place. And how, under the control of a very rough hut. General, there's one other uh, important matter here. How are we going to get to Port Tuga? The Spinster's Loom stands ready for you. They are experts on covert infiltration and covert delivery of assets for us. Most people don't look twice at a ship that old and in that apparent disrepair. It's going to be a very tight amount of time to get from here to there. Of course it is. For the meeting is scheduled in 12 hours. Grand plan. 
then uh, we really shouldn't have bothered to stow our gear. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get the bags. Are we going to uh, have a credit chit or anything to uh, help us pay for these droids? The good captain will have a briefcase, which will be able to interface with the Interstellar Banking Authority and transfer the amount on behalf of the Alliance to their accounts without leaving much of a trace at all. We're just showing up, making the transaction, and then getting out of there. And we're needing your mechanics and your slicer's abilities in making sure that the droids themselves are... What is being said to us? That the inspection of merchandise is most assuredly going to be needed. And that it's not an imperial trap. One can only go so far, I guess. Well, I'll bring the grenades anyway. (laughs) Any other questions for Jan, head of Alliance Intelligence? I I actually have a question. Okay. Just out of curiosity for context, what do you mean by letter of mark? They're privateers. They're pirates with a actual letter saying the Rebel Alliance isn't going to shoot them. Okay, so it's, it's saying, we're pirates, but you don't shoot us, we don't shoot you. If you're Rebel Alliance. Yeah, it's a, this, there was, historically, there were letters of mark for pirates that said that you're a legal pirate for us, but not a legal pirate for anyone else because you're stealing stuff from them. Yar. <laughs> TV says, uh, thank you, General. I'm certain once the droids have been purchased had their memories wiped, and been reprogrammed. They will be excellent servants for the Rebellion. I nudge TV and say, your old memory's gonna be wiped if you don't cut that out. He's being enthusiastic the only way he knows how. And I know that you will serve the Alliance well, TV. As at that point, the holograph display flickers out. Standing there next to the door is the captain with a, what looks to be a nice shiny metal briefcase. Somewhat reinforced. Possibly a decent improvised weapon. I think at this point, quite literally, Matu is going to leave and go get the bags. He doesn't want to waste time. He figures that Nima will take care of the rest of the details and fill him in if needed. So he literally rushes off to the turbo. Yeah, uh, Nima will go ahead and uh, and take the briefcase. Is this whole thing necessary for the equipment we'll need for the transfer? Or, or is it just a fancy case for uh, for something smaller? Captain Tertulli opens a case showing you how to open it. And you can see a transmitter, almost a full-out computer that the top of the case has this fairly large antenna in it. You can see a lot of cycling numbers on a lot of it. You can see on it where you can enter in an amount of cash. You can see a line there for like an account number that's like half the width of the briefcase and a keypad underneath. It looks to be a banking transfer in some ways it's an ATM. It's sort of a high-tech single-purpose money transfer device that looks to have its own power source. The captain mentions that the most that the Alliance can afford is 4 million credits for the lot. How many droids is this going to be? We're uncertain, but we were told that it was going to be in this vicinity for worth. You were to be going out and inspecting the merchandise to ensure that the Alliance itself is not getting ripped off. And I imagine to uh, try to get you a better deal. If you were able to get us a better deal, that is much, much to the Alliance's benefit. I'm quite impressed. I was just found on the battlefield to scrap. <laughs> and you've made an excellent recovery, good sir. Is the loom going to be able to uh, haul all these droids back? That might be an issue that needs to be figured out at the time there. They obviously have been able to transfer the equipment 
to Portuga, so that is going to be one of the little details that we're expecting you and your squad to be able to deal with. Well, for four million credits, they uh, they can throw in a transport ship. Meanwhile, on deck five, along the long corridor that stretches from one hall to the other, Matsu has all of the bags and is shuffling down the corridor like a dad trying to make his flight and carrying the entire family's luggage. Just kind of waddling back and forth like, oh, can't believe we brought all this aboard. We could have left it back on the ship. But hey, hey, Bronica, you can help, you know. As you call out for that, Lilu comes out and like, it's a little tech droid, but little tech droids seem to have a lot of strength behind them and takes two of the bags from you. It sort of shuffles off into the ship. Yeah, it's probably Kiff's bag of random clothes. <laughs> Take that one. I'll... Clothes or explosives? It's probably both. And you volunteered, dude. <laughs> and I mean, he's got like the shield on his back, and it's just—he—it's just a mess. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and like a bag over the shield. And by the time you make it to the ship, the rest of the party is met up with you carrying this other fairly sleek briefcase. I, I think kind of what actually is sort of happening here is uh, we—you kind of reach the ship with all your load the same time we're arriving, and immediately like we're just kind of like walking past you. <laughs> You gotta struggle there. Timmy! <laughs> Timmy, grab this! Timmy, it's gonna fall! It's going to fall! I, I help the shield balance slightly better on your back. I don't actually I, take You're doing it. an admirable job, Matt, too. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I would help, but my hands are full here, Nima says, uh, holding onto the briefcase, uh, clearly just uh, just messing with you right now. Right. Well, I wouldn't imagine of making you carry anything, LT. You're the boss. I would help, but I'm just a little senior trooper. What can I do? And at this point, Lilu has come back out from the ship and is grabbing another duffel off of you. You are a tiny boffin. I wouldn't expect you to carry anything. But the droid! Hey, droid! Okay, see, TV, in the time you've done nothing, Lilu's done two things. How do you feel about yourself? Please, give me the bag. We need to hurry. We need to get those droids reprogrammed so that they can start fighting for the freedom of organics. With that, he grabs a couple of bags and goes into the ship. Is it frightening that that's probably the most upbeat I've ever heard him? It's also the most disturbing thing I've heard in a long while. All right, all aboard. So uh, once the, I assume the launch procedure is, is happening, you can see Matu visibly relaxes. He very much dislikes these meetings with Alliance Upper Brass. He's really only comfortable with Nima and taking orders from her. And so this is the moment where he feels at ease to speak up about the mission. Is it, is it me, or does it seem like there are an awful lot of question marks in this mission? Isn't that every mission we ever get? I know, but it seems like they knew what they were doing when they selected us for our combat and explosive prowess, and yet they're trying to make it seem like it's a milk run don't trust it i think it's a little bit of a um hope for the best prepare for the worst kind of situation they want us to uh, evaluate the droids in case there is any problem and if there is we have the skill set to deal with the situation although exactly why they selected us and all the trust why they are trusting us with four million credits that's a whole other smash ball game uh, is there a way to roll to see if we know anything about the hut presence, like specifically which hut and like what their deal is? Oh, most certainly. For a skill, I'm kind of thinking Knowledge Underworld, streetwise, depending on whether you're looking a bit more book smart or whether it's your ear to the ground. 
Right. Is it possible we could do like a group underworld? Because my knowledge is garbage. Uh, you want to chat about it? See if we can hash it out? <laughs> sure. I assume the, the spinster's loom is sort of our usual transport ship. Since you have become a unit, this is mostly this has been the ship that's mostly been uh, provided to you. These poor beings have been the ones shuttling you guys and TV around. Okay, so I would imagine that we don't feel compelled to double check their flight work or their astrogation. So we're comfortable enough going back to the Jajeric table and uh, talking it out. I don't know if if we're trying to figure out. The hut thing, it might not be a bad idea to ask Brodica if she's got any clue. I have a question. Does anybody understand her? It just sounds like a whole bunch of growling and barking. There weren't exactly a lot of Wookiees on Coruscant. Oh yeah, I, I speak it. Well, I understand it. I'll go talk to her. <laughs> you can ask where, where the bathroom is in Wookiee. <laughs> okay, sorry. His accent is terrible. Uh, uh, Brodica... Listen, um, we're wondering, do you know anything about the hut presence on Port Tuga? She gives you a few little quick, almost chirps and yips, and then goes back to piloting, pulling the levers to cause the ship to fling itself into the whirlpool void of hyperspace. And it's at that point Lilu turns and translates for you, saying that, Yes, Port Tuga is the possession of the great hut, Shula. It is a place for smugglers and ne'er-do-wells of most sorts to come and relax and if a bit of transaction happens that is conducted on the station some of the funds most likely will be transferred to the hut by the seller right so i'm wondering then if the huts are going to be expecting that cut of this four million credits in our experience it has been the seller having to pay after the fact right i go back and relay this information well uh it's kind of like what the the captain said. If uh, when we're done making the sale, there's any issues, our covers already be blown, and uh, let's get out of there. I don't see any reason to uh, to give a, a hut lord a share. I do have some underworld data files in my central processing core. It is not impossible that there may be relevant information, but I would have to access them. So access them. I am merely providing a security audit of the briefcase to make sure that it is secure. Nima's going to kind of like take the briefcase where it was sort of on her left and then move it over to her right side away from TV. <laughs> the data port is still on the side facing me. Leave the briefcase alone. <laughs> For the most part, this is a very unassuming, but kind of longish hyperspace jump. There's nothing really going on. The brightness of the Listall system's main sequence star at such proximity is blinding, Bradica wears a thick pair of welding goggles as she makes her approach to Port Tuga. Fear the shadow that she and Lilu cast might create permanent tan lines across your face if she holds course much longer. Fortunately, Bradica turns the ship about and points the star behind you, bringing Port Tuga into focus. The station's ray shielding shimmers like a glow dome as it pulses against the star's intense radiation, making the particulars of the station activity difficult to see. As Bradica clears the station shields, the muddy shell-like hull of the station snaps into focus. A flock of bulk freighters drifts near the station around a collection of containers, like a herd of benthas guarding their cubs. She growls over the comlink to the station, and they direct her to a docking port without much hassle. It sounds like she's actually been to this place several times. Well, that makes things more convenient for us. 
do we have an exact meeting point aboard the station? No. You are supposed to be meeting a Shayendi Ogler, and that she was a captain of a ship. Yeah, so we're going to need to ask uh, ask around and uh, try to find her, figure out where she's birthed. All right, gear up, everybody. So this two-kilometer diameter disc-shaped station, hexagonal hull plates that form huge shell around it. The name itself comes from the huts. I'm talking about this almost turtle-like thing that the uh, huts have sort of prized for its resilience. Yeah, this place is big enough to land probably 125 medium and light freighters. So the ship that you're in just sort of fits fairly nicely as it pulls up and the docking hatch is extended. Radica's there and hands over a chit that you notice is worth 500 credits to one of the deckhands that meet the ship at the docking port. With one of these deckhands kind of... Uh, that's there. I'm going to go ahead and grab his attention. Where's the Contuspecs Crusader docked? And I'm going to go ahead and pull out uh, Hunter credits and uh, kind of show it to him as his, uh, his tip, if he can tell me. In this case, I'm kind of wanting to get a bit of a charm check. Okay. But on the other hand, this guys he's just normally working here. So I'm figuring that it's just going to be an average or a two purple check. All right. So I've got a, a three green because uh, Nima's got a presence of three, but she has no training and charm versus uh, two purple here. And this could be very helpful if, if it works. So I'm going to go ahead and spend one of our two light side points, which will upgrade the check and make one of those greens into a yellow. And I got exactly <laughs> one success. <laughs> well, it was a good thing that you upgraded. Yep. All right. <laughs> so that was a good call. Uh, the de- the deckhand sort of hems and haws and says, "Well, I'll get spaced if I tell you where their ship is." But I've seen this crew hanging out at the Barvey Harpy. When did you see them there last? Before I came on shift. I needed a little something to get through these. I mean, you see the people I'm dealing with. Yeah, I see. Uh, I'm not going to give him the full 100 since he didn't tell me the full uh, exactly where they were, but I will go ahead and fork over 50 to him since he did give me a good lead here. He takes the chip for 50 and just sort of tosses it up, grabs it, and thanks you as he turns off and starts looking to get the hoverjack functioning. I feel like a drink. You look like you feel like a drink. Are we taking the uh, stuff with us, or are we just going to find some reconnaissance first? You're referring to the credits. I'm referring to nothing in public. Nima did say that aloud. She's not a very cunning sort. She's not very good at these underworld dealings. Uh, she's more used to the other side. That does, uh, that's a good call, Keith. So I'm going to go ahead and leave the uh, the briefcase full of credits aboard the, uh, the Spencer's loom for the moment. Uh, I'm going to make sure when I kind of put it down somewhere, TV isn't, like, right over my shoulder. <laughs> Standing in the corner. Um, question. <laughs> Looking sad. Um, can I disguise <laughs> the credit box as, like, a ship part or something? It is only briefcase size, so hiding it in a drawer or something like that or under a mattress would not be that hard. Like, at all. She could roll, like, she could do a deception, right? Like, gussing it up. Yeah, like, if you're wanting to truly, truly hide it, most certainly, you could definitely do, like, a deception roll, which I'm figuring would be a... Or skullduggery. Skullduggery would also work, yeah. 
there's many skills for that. Or e I'd even allow mechanics, because I could see just sort of, like, taking the uh, wall plate off, hiding it, and then putting it back. Uh, let's, let's roll with that, because that's a lot of money that kind of the hope of the future has been entrusted with us. I'm going to leave TV in the corner, <laughs> and I'll be right back. There's also probably this awkward moment where Nemo was going to just hide the credit case like underneath her mattress or something, and Kiss like, no, no, honey, we got it. We can do better than that. He's like, oh, that's cute. I distract, I distract TV with a game of rock paper scissors. Uh, so while you're building that role, um, is Nemo bringing the shield? The shield in question here, by the way, in its current state, sort of a, um, uh, it's a rectangle shape, but just barely so. Uh, and it's got sort of a, a small, like, transparent steel sort of, like, slot up near the top. And uh, there appear, appear to be a few moving parts kind of uh, further down, but it's uh, it's basically like a big old uh, riot or blast shield here. Uh, the sort of thing you would uh, expect more to find from a uh, special weapons team than on a military officer. So for the role to, like, semi-disassemble one of the bulkheads and put the briefcase inside... For someone who's actually trained in mechanics, has their tools around, I'm figuring that's actually going to be an easy or a one purple check. On the other hand, I'm just wanting to spend one of the four dark side points that I've got. So it's going to turn it into a one challenge die or one red die instead of one purple. All right. Gith calls upon her misspent youth at the garage. And I think she does okay. Sort of describe for everyone what you're doing with this case and what you're trying to do with your mechanics skill. Well, I'm gonna go walk down one of the, the corridors and I'm actually gonna go with a floor panel since I know that there's generally lots of tubes and things down there. And, you know, they, they, they're not something that's always... Uh, they're not irregularly futzed with, so they don't look unusual if you pull one out and put it back. That's just something that happens in day-to-day use. So I'm gonna pull one up and kind of tuck the, the thing up and behind a couple of tubes. And then just kind of shove it all back and maybe spread some dirt back over, you know. And walk away. Possibly with... Well, and with four successes and an advantage, that is something that sounds exactly like what happens. It's just this textbook. Open up the floor plate, slide the briefcase in, close the floor plate, dirty it up a little so that it doesn't look that dirty or conspicuously clean, and walk off. All right, you guys ready to roll? Now, Kith, just because we're going into a bar doesn't mean you have to drink all of that alcohol. I thought that was your job. As you know, as a dedicated Mandalorian warrior, I do not drink alcohol. I'm sure. Yeah, it's always one of the, uh, the strangest things i found about you. So, as you're heading down this fairly tightly packed, almost boardwalks, that... There's people of all different species there. And you go through this actually fairly alien-looking arch. And as you do, you hear the sounds, Bikik Baron, just sort of on the other side, you see this food stall that is just has all these different sort of biscuit-type sandwiches and a assortment of biscuits for purchase. And then you look sort of behind you at what actually made the noise, and it's just weird alien arch, like almost insectoid in its stylings. It looks a little bit sort of disconnected, but yeah, you swear it's like Bikik Baron. And the name of the stall of itself is Biscuit Baron. Just one of the 
weird and odd things that you've seen on Portuga as you're walking. Like, eh, this isn't that uh, that much different from uh, from the old Undercity. It almost it almost sort of reminds you of home. I mean, the biscuits look a lot nicer here. <laughs> Nick, as you arrive, the Barbie Harpy is in full swing, with species of all kinds drinking, dancing, fighting, and generally carrying on and having a wildly fun time. The music consists of a lively kitara and synth, synth viol uh, duet masterfully played by a pair of Zabrik, and the rhythmic stomping of those dancing and clapping along. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to having you tune in for our next episode of Heroes of the Hydean Way. You can find show updates on Twitter at The Hydean Way, and you can find me on Twitter at Deuterium Ice. You can find me on Twitter at Twelfth Night, that's 1-2-T-H and night with a K. You can have more fun with TV on Twitter at iBrentBrown. And I'm available at GS. You can actually hear me some more yammering on at my podcast, Silhouette Zero, which is an Edge of the Empire actual play that features short, tiny little aliens. Uh, you can find that at silzero.podbean.com. That's spelled S-I-L-Z-E-R-O. And you can also find me at Twitter at SilZeroChris. Our podcast is on iTunes and Google Play, where you can find more episodes and help us out by reading and reviewing the show. We're at theheideanway.com, where you can find previous episodes and our sister podcast, Tales from the Heidean Way. We're also on Facebook as Heroes of the Heidean Way. And you can drop us a holocom at heroes at theheideanway.com. <laughs>